This is uh, Good Friday, and uh, the title of the sermon this morning is uh, The Good News of Good Friday. There is good news during Good Friday. Amen to that. And so uh, this morning, I want you to turn to Exodus 12. We're going to look through Exodus 12, verses 1 to 28. So I'll give you a moment to turn there. Uh, We are continuing with our series of looking at Jesus uh, through the Bible, and uh, but this won't be in your booklet, so uh, you'll, you'll just have to write on your sermon notes cards. Exodus 12, uh, verses 1 to 28. And so uh, in order for us to see the good news of Exodus 12, the good news in Good Friday, uh, it's fitting and appropriate and important that we look at the context of what's going on uh, here. And so on the scene uh, that we come to in Exodus 12, Israel has been in slavery for hundreds of years, and it's brutal. Exodus 3, 7 and 9 tells us a description of it, says that there was affliction, there's been crying, suffering, and oppression. Things are brutal. And they've been crying out to God, they need a change, and they need good news. And so the Lord, we're told in Exodus 3 as well, the Lord has seen it all, He knows it all, and then the Lord says, look, I have good news for you. So here's the good news, is Exodus 11, uh, verses 1 to 8 And I'll just summarize it for you. He says, look, there's going to be one more plague. There's going to be one more plague, and Pharaoh will let you go. In fact, not only will Pharaoh let you go, the Egyptians will beg you to go. And not only will they beg you to go, they're going to give you all their treasure as you leave. And not only that, as you go, there won't even be a dog that will growl against you. That's what we call at Harvest God at Work. Okay, that, is, that is the hand of God, and it was amazingly unthinkable good news. And so it's also a picture of the gospel. Exodus 12, we're going to see the gospel this morning. But here's the thing is, the good news of the gospel can easily be passed over. So don't miss it. The good news of the gospel is easily passed over. So this morning, don't miss it. Uh, When we come to Exodus 12, we see now the good news has been said in Exodus 12, and here's our passage. Uh, Israel is told how to prepare for this mighty work of God. They're given a description, several descriptions and instructions regarding three things. A lamb, leaven, and land. Now, we're not told, but I can't help but wonder if to them, when they heard these things, it sounded a little bit like a bad movie trailer. I wonder if it more sounded like to them uh, something like this. A people oppressed for centuries. Because that's how movie trailers sound, right? A ruthless ruler. Egypt wasn't ready for the final plague, the mighty hand of God. Israel's God tells them to prepare. Prepare and get ready for the great exodus. Exodus, exodus, exodus. By choosing a lamb, avoiding leaven, and anticipating a land. You going? No, I don't think I can make that movie. (laughs) Not happening. I wonder if it sounded a little bit like that. And regardless of how it sounded to them, what they were told in in, in Exodus 12 was incredibly good news. And regardless of how it sounded, they were called to believe in it and obey the Lord and I wonder if maybe like Israel, maybe you know who God is. They, Moses told Israel, 
who God was. They knew who he was. They'd seen already nine plagues. Maybe for you, you've seen God work in your life. You've seen miracles. But if you're honest this morning, uh, you're really not sure if this good news has saved you from hell. I mean, if you're really honest with yourself this morning, I wonder if you're thinking of things in your life and thinking, does God have good news for every corner of my life? Like, how good really is this good news? And maybe for you, you're in guilt that right now is just crushing you, that you can't seem to shake, and it won't leave. Maybe you have an addiction that you can't kick. You've been trying so hard. You have physical suffering, and it's not getting better. It's actually getting worse. Maybe you have a broken relationship that's left you wounded. You say, I can't seem to get through from these cycles of anger, depression, loneliness, fears, anxiety. Maybe it's just the, the day-to-day mundane of life. It's just this routine that it just, it just goes on and on and on. And God, do you have good news in that? I mean, God, do you have good news that reaches that? And this morning, the answer is yes. Yes and amen, absolutely. He has good news that is so incredibly good, there's nothing that's left untouched. And it's called the gospel. And it is good news, but the gospel is good news that is easily passed over. The way to to destruction is broad and the way to salvation is narrow. Why is it that this gospel is so amazing and yet easily missed? So we come to Exodus 12. And we're going to look at three ways in which we see the good news of the gospel in Exodus 12. And the first is this. The first is the lamb. I am passed over. The lamb. I am passed over. Verses 1 to 14 and 21 to 24. And I'm going to skim through it here uh, and breeze you through it. Uh, We read how Israel was to choose a lamb on the 10th. That's in verse 3. In verse 5, it was to be a year old, a male without blemish. Verse 6, sacrificed on the 14th. Verse 7, its blood was to be spread on the doorposts and lintels, lintels across, doorposts up, over the doors of their homes. It was to be roasted and eaten, verse 8. Verse 10, anything left was to be burned up, verse 11. It was to be eaten quickly. Now, why was this good news? This looks like really bad advice for having company over this afternoon. Right, like, why is this such incredibly good news to Israel? And here's why. This lamb, clearly God was saying, this lamb was going to save them from the final plague of death. This lamb was going to result in, remember, hundreds of years of slavery? This was going to get them out of slavery. That's what this lamb was going to do. God said plainly, look, a plague is coming. The firstborn is going to die. And the firstborn is going to die in every single household but the lamb will be a substitute for the firstborn. Israel was called the firstborn. Israel was called God's chosen, the firstborn. And now to be truly the firstborn means that you have a substitute, the lamb. And so death was a guarantee that night. Something was going to die. It was either going to be the lamb or it was going to be the firstborn. In verses 12 to 14 and 21 to 24, we're told that the Lord would pass through Egypt at midnight and he would strike down every firstborn. No questions. No negotiating. This was a guarantee. But every home, and only the homes where the blood of the Lamb was spread over the doorposts of the homes, he would pass over, they would be saved, and they would be free. And this was incredibly good news to Israel. But the Lamb this morning is even better news for us. 
Okay, this morning, where we sit in our seats, the Lamb is even better news for you and for me, and here's why. We have a much bigger problem than Israel has, than, than they had. Our problem is infinitely greater, and we need a greater exodus, and we need a greater Lamb. Our problem is so severe, we are born into slavery, we're born into sin. God is a holy God, and He has punished us as sinners. We are under His judgment. There is no one that can get out. And rightly so, he, does, he um, deserves and requires holiness. And we've all break, broken that. There's not one person that is without blemish. And God says the, uh, all the efforts to escape this punishment, to escape hell, are futile. Even our attempts to just live for the Lord are powerless. We need an exodus as much greater. And it's impossible. This exodus is, in fact, impossible. Nothing will work except we have a greater lamb. We have the greater lamb. You fast forward 1,500 years, and like Israel choosing a lamb on the 10th, did you know that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem on the 10th, and God chose his lamb for us? Jesus was sacrificed on the 14th between 3 and 6, the same hour that tens of thousands of Passover lambs were being sacrificed. He's our Passover lamb. His blood was shed, and he... He dies, but he's innocent. He dies a criminal's death, crucifixion on a cross, but he's innocent. He's our lamb without spot or blemish. He's our substitute. He's not just a lamb. He's not just an animal, but he is the lamb of God. He is fully God and fully man. And he paid the price. He died for us, but he paid the price in full. He rose again, and when he rose again, he proved he paid it. He proved it was sufficient. He was a sufficient sacrifice. He rose from the grave and he conquered the grave. And when we, that's why we, why we celebrate when we sing that, right? He bust from the grave. Is there anything better? This is our Passover lamb. And what he did is he secured new life for those that would trust in his shed blood and none other. He now stands as this once for all sacrifice to end all sacrifices. John the Baptist said, in John 1.29, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the call is to trust in Him. Trust in Him. He's your only hope of freedom from bondage of sin, from its power, from its penalty. That's it. That's our only hope and faith in Christ, the Lamb of God. Because of that, we are now no longer counted as slaves and treated rightly as slaves. We're counted as sons and daughters and treated as that. This is incredibly unthinkable good news and it is a sure thing because it's dependent on the Lamb of God. It is amazing, but it's often overlooked. I had a friend of mine uh, from Sri Lanka and I was in my truck. He turned to me one day and he says to me, why do they call God or Jesus the Lamb of God? I couldn't believe I just got asked that question Here's why they call him the Lamb of God. He is our Lamb. And it is done. The Lamb of God saves us from our sins. The Lamb of God. So will you be struck down or will you be passed over? Maybe some of you think this morning, if you asked me yesterday, I'm oh, not sure. Maybe today's going okay. Will you be struck down or passed over? How many people that night did not kill the lamb and spread the blood? How many? How many people thought, you know what, we had a lamb two days ago, maybe that'll work. 
How many people propped a, a chair up against their door or put a, a lock on it or blocked up the windows and thought, maybe that'll work and we'll send out a prayer? Every single one of them was struck down without exception. Every single one was struck down. God himself only, and hear this, and it's easily passed over, God himself only passes over the Lamb of God, the shed blood of the Lamb in every single home that had the blood of the Lamb applied to the doorposts was saved. He passes over every single person that would put the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of their homes. And maybe you're thinking, my efforts, you know what, um, my church attendance, my upbringing, my prayers, my pastoral connections or priestly connections or whatever you think they can do for you. There is only one way that you will be passed over and hear this. It is by the blood of the Lamb. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's only Son and none other. This is good news, but it's often passed over. It's missed. Now maybe you're trusting in the Lamb this morning, but you have areas in your life where you've gone and you've pushed the chair back against the door. You've, you've locked things up. You've put things over the windows to try to increase efforts to, to make sure that it's really going to work. And your assurance is in your works or your performance today or yesterday or what the pastor thinks of you or doesn't think of you, what your kids think of you, and you compare yourself to other believers. But remember again, Christian, it is the blood of the Lamb that passes over our sins. And it's easily overlooked, it's easily passed over even by Christians. Did you know that? Even by Christians. So don't miss it. This is the good news of the gospel seen in Exodus 12. The lamb. The second is this, the leaven. I'm brought out. Verses 15 to 20, we read nine times in six verses about leaven. Leaven. What is, like, is this like some ancient secret recipe that's starting to like, be drawn up? We can go back here and look at some dietary um, things that we can do. Is this, the, is this the good news here? Here it is. Here, here's the story. No, not at all. I wonder how many of us, if we found out that this section of our Bible was missing, would freak out and say, where's the leaven part? I can't believe I'm missing the leaven part, right? Like, why is this good news? Why is this good news? I want to tell you why this is such good news and why it was good news for Israel, because it meant that they were getting out of Egypt. They were getting out of Egypt and everything that went along with Egypt, slavery, oppression, affliction, the false gods, everything, and they were getting out like now. Okay, leaven was yeast and it worked through the dough and if you've ever done dough and it rises, right? The idea was, look, there's no time to let this dough rise. There's no time. We're getting out of here like yesterday. It's happening right away. Look at verse 11. He says, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Kids, this was the only time in history when you could eat a quick meal and it was okay. <laughs> eat quicker. It was happening right now. God was going to bring them out. Look at verse 17. He says, And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. Why? For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. On that day, right now, now also there's a piece of leaven, there's a picture that uh, is of sin working through our lives like yeast works through the dough. Look at verse 19, he says, If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. So those who allowed leaven, either into their home or they ate the leaven, would actually be cut off from fellowship with the people of God. And so here's the picture, is 
We are getting out of here now, and we're getting out of here together. This was good news for Israel. This was great news, but it is even better news for us this morning. Though we are to be counted as cut off from a holy God, from fellowship with Him, from being part of the family of God because of our sin, God brings us out from sin and from slavery. And He saves us. And here's the thing, is He does that by one name. There is only one Lamb. There's only one name in which men must be saved. There is no negotiating, and today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. This morning is the day, the morning of salvation. There's no time. I can't help but think of a picture of a prisoner that's been in cells forever, and there's a special mission that comes in to, to steal him away, right? And you know the scene, you get there, they, they, they bust into the cell, and he's like, how'd you get here? And he's, no time for questions. There's no time. We need to get out of here now. And I can't help but think if some of us feel this morning, maybe you feel that perhaps you can't get out. No, I can't. I can't get out. I need time to get my life in order first. Just, just let me clean myself off quick. Do we have time for that? I'm too scared for what this might mean for my future. I've got used to prison life and the future is just too uncertain right now. I'm too far gone. Don't worry about me. Just leave. Maybe tomorrow. I know some things. I know some things that are shaking around here. And let's, let's try tomorrow. But God says today is the day of salvation. Today. He says it. The leaven is there. He says there's no time for the dough to rise. This is your only way out. Come now. It's through the Lamb. Perhaps you've been saved out of prison. You know Christ. But you're loitering around the walls of the prison. You've stopped allowing yourself to be brought out. You say, man, God saved my soul, and I'm so thankful for that. But that was radical enough, no more. That was good for then, but that's as far as I can go. It's just too much. It's too hard. It's not convenient. It's too scary. Maybe tomorrow I'll tackle this sin. Look, it's, it's not a big deal. And you're lingering around the prison walls, and God says, you relied on me to get out of prison. I'm your only hope. Now rely on me to get as far from prison as possible. Rely on me to die to the prison life and walk in freedom. And so the leaven is incredibly good news. But the good news of the gospel is easily passed over, so don't miss it. Our last point then is this, is the land. The land I am brought in. Verses 25, or verse 25, the Lord makes... A promise. It's a good promise. He says he's going to bring them into the land that he will give them. Now why is this such good news? Maybe you watch too many renovation shows and you think, I know why. Location, 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 right? Maybe that's what's going on here, but that's not what's going on here. This was massively good news, and here's why. For Israel, this was good news because God had a place for them, and it wasn't Egypt. That was good news. And in fact, not only was it not Egypt, Egypt was going to be a distant memory. Verse 26. Uh, you're going to have to remind your kids about it. You're not going to remember it. It's going to be in the past. It's going to be gone. Verse 25, if you look at that, it looks like the good news was primarily that God was going to take them out and place them in another place. That's what it looks like. And it was. 
But it was much more than that. If we fast forward to Exodus 33, 1-4, in Exodus 33, the Israelites have just made a golden calf. That's a problem. You have Yahweh, the only God, the only living God, and you make a golden calf. That's a problem. And God punishes them. He sends a plague to kill many of them. And he says, you can go to the land. He tells Moses, go ahead to the land, but I'm not coming because I'll probably wipe you out. And Moses says this in verses 15 to 16 of Genesis 33, and I'll read it for you. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? He says, our identity is in you. It doesn't matter us going there. It means nothing if you don't go with us. What was significant about the land was not the location. It was about the Lord. That's what it was about. It was about the Lord. God has been since, since before the fall, and, and then, of course, during the fall and after, he has been redeeming now, gathering a people to himself for his glory in his kingdom. Uh, Von Roberts uh, wrote a book called God's Big Picture, and he gives kind of the big picture of God's story through the Bible. What's this all about? And he says, the kingdom of God is defined as God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. He says, God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. It's about being God's people with the Lord. So the land is even better news for us today, did you know this, than it was for Israel. We're no longer trying to get a land where God dwells. Did you know that? We're not, it might be cool to go to Israel. It'd be super cool to go to Israel. See where Jesus walked? Awesome. We didn't need to go there. You didn't need to build a house there. We're not going to a land anymore. Did you know that God now brings us in? He brings us into a relationship with him and he says he dwells in us. He dwells in you and me. If you're trusting in Christ, he dwells in you and me. And then when we gather as his people, he said, he said, I'm with you in the midst. You don't go now to the temple to go be with God. God's temple is here in our midst. And now we go into the world and God meets people there. This is incredible. God of the universe dwells in us. Now you can build your dream home. You can pick your island. You can have all the toys in the world. It could be warm all the time and not a cold spring. And it doesn't matter a lick if there's no one there with you, does it? Does it? Why is heaven good news? Why is heaven such a great place? It's because God is there. That's why. If he's not there, you bet it's boring. Don't go. Awful. Don't look forward to it. Heaven is awesome because God is there. Now, for some of you, your faith in God is all about land. This morning, for some of you, the truth is probably your faith, your faith is all about land. Get me to financial security. Get me to that perfect relationship, God. Get me to that job. Get me to that place of health. Get me to peace. Get me to whatever you can think of, purpose. And the problem is, at the end of it, you're going to find out that God wasn't there. He doesn't know you. But you're not saved. God calls us to himself. When you give your life to the Lord, he actually calls you to hard places. He calls you to storms. He calls you to deserts. He calls you to loneliness. He calls you to loss. He calls you to take up a cross. That's what he calls you to. But did you know he doesn't call you just to a place? He calls you mostly to himself. 
He calls you to Himself. That you would know Him and love Him and trust Him and obey His commands. That you would pursue Him. And then, then when you find yourself in the place of a desert, there's satisfaction. In longing, there's satisfaction. In suffering, there's joy. When there's nothing, there's thankfulness. And loneliness is presence. And storms, peace. And I could list off a gazillion things and talk all day on this because that's the gospel. God brings sinners into relationship with him. This is the good news of the gospel. But it is easily passed over. Do not miss this today. How do we respond to all this? Verses 27 to 28 of Exodus 12 says this, and the people, after hearing this, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. People worshiped God. They worshiped and they went. Changed them. Do you know what a disciple of the gospel is first and foremost a worshiper? Do you love the Lord? Do you worship God? Is He your first love? Have you seen Him and His worth, seen your sin, seen the Lamb and the shed blood for you, and have you repented in worship and said, God, you are awesome? And I am a sinner and I'm helpless. Have you trusted in him alone for your salvation? That's worship. You say, God, I I quit. I'm not not trying to do it anymore. I can't. I I can't get out. The exodus only happens through the blood of the lamb. Save me. Forgive me. And God, take me wherever. I just want to be with you. I need you, Lord. Have you done that? The good news of the gospel is easily missed. And so... You're going to need to remind yourself, if you have done this, you need to remind yourself of this every day. Every day we come back to this. And man, I remember a whole lot of things, and they're brutal. But I tell you what, there is nothing better to remind yourself of every day than the gospel. There is nothing better than that. You invite him into every desire, every emotion, every hope, every dream, every fear, every single corner of your life, and in those places, You remind yourself, you say, God, remind me that I am passed over. I am brought out, I'm brought into a relationship with you, the living God. This is the good news of the gospel. This is good news. But it's easily passed over, so don't miss it this morning. Don't miss it. So from Exodus 12, I think it's fitting for us to end our time in communion. You can leave your finger in Exodus 12, that's fine, um, and maybe turn to Luke 22 as well. The reason I think this is so fitting um, is because the Passover was to be celebrated every year as an unchanging ritual and reminder that God redeemed his people from slavery, from the kingdom of Egypt, the kingdom of darkness. And they were to do this every single year to remember their exit from Egypt. I don't know if you saw it in Exodus 12. It says several times, verse 14, 17, 24 to 25, over and over again, observe this rite, this statute. It's to be forever before your family. Like, do this, remember it, celebrate it forever. That is until Christ 
God himself, so God instituted it now. Christ, God in the flesh, fulfilled the Passover through going through a greater exodus and saving us from the kingdom of darkness and our sins by the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that incredible? So then in communion, you see in Luke 22, Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And now it's not clear in any of the texts, we don't hear mention of the Lamb. That's interesting. Now, whether the lamb was there in that Passover feast or not really doesn't matter because why? Because the lamb was there. Because you literally have the Passover with the lamb of God right there in your midst and then Jesus institutes communion. That's why it's called the first communion. And in verse 19 and 20, and he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after he'd eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. So now, communion no longer looks back to Egypt. We don't do the Passover anymore. We don't look back to Egypt anymore. Communion looks back to the cross. It looks back to the cross because the Lamb has come. And the Lamb has paid for our sins. And so now we look back to that. The bread doesn't remind us of freedom from Egypt by a body of a lamb, it reminds us of freedom from slavery to our sins by the blood of Christ. And the body of Christ. The cop no longer reminds us of the blood of the lamb that, um, that God saw that day and passed over that was over the doorpost of the home. The blood now, the symbol, the juice you'll have before you, symbolizes that shed blood of Jesus Christ for your sins. The body and the blood of our Passover lamb. 